Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One of the most curious friendships in the entire 20th century was between Harry Houdini and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Now, at one level, it makes perfect sense. One's a magician. The other is the one who invented Sherlock Holmes. Of course, they would be friends. But also, one of them was a hardcore skeptic. Harry Houdini spent the last part of his life debunking claims of pseudoscience and the paranormal. He would ruin a seance midway through connecting with the spirit world to prove that it was just fake magic tricks. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, however, very much believed in the supernatural. And you got to understand that at the beginning of the 20th century, there was a weird sense of anything being possible in a world where radio waves could carry communications, in a world where telephones allowed you to reach across the Atlantic. Why wouldn't you believe that life and death was just one more gulf to be breached by technology? And to get a sense of how strange this time was, I want to try something different. I recently got turned on to the Cautionary Tales podcast with Tim Harford. On Cautionary Tales, Tim tells stories from the past, pointing out valuable lessons in history's greatest mistakes, disasters, fiascos. It's the kind of show where after hearing it, you'll notice how a tiny change in a hotel's blueprints can result in tons of concrete, steel, and glass crashing down on guests. You'll understand the moment of sitting in a cockpit where the autopilot switches off or swelter as a deadly heat wave descends on Chicago, killing some residents, but oddly sparing their neighbors. I love these kind of mysteries, and I want you to listen as Tim takes you to a faraway place, a century away, and makes it real for you. And while you're there, I want you to try to see things not from the deceiver's perspective, but from the viewpoint of the breathlessly amazed. This is a preview of a true story of Frances and Elise, two English girls who claim to have photographic evidence of fairies living at the bottom of the garden behind their family home. This is the kind of idea that instantly grabbed the attention of the public. And yes, even before there was an internet, something could go super viral overnight, and that's exactly what this did. And like so many other great deceptions, the most obvious solution was the right one. It's two kids playing with a camera. But Tim explores the question of how do you get people to believe this hoax 
and keep it going for over 60 years. Take a listen, give Cautionary Tales a try. You know I gotta say it. Remember that cons don't fool us because we're stupid. They fool us because we're human. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. In May 1920, I heard that alleged photographs of fairies had been taken. These are the words of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes, in a book titled The Coming of the Fairies. Unlike The Sign of Four or The Hound of the Baskervilles, The Coming of the Fairies wasn't a work of fiction. It was deadly serious. These photographs were in the possession of Edward Gardner, an influential believer in spiritualism, the idea that the spirits of the dead can communicate with the living. Spiritualism was all the rage at the time, and if you believed in spirits, it wasn't too much of a leap to believe in fairies too. Where had these photographs come from? Edward Gardner's sister explained to Conan Doyle, Edward has got into touch with a family in Bradford where the little girl, Elsie, and her cousin, Francis, constantly go into the woods and play with the fairies. Some time ago, Elsie said she wanted to photograph them and begged her father to lend his camera. For long, he refused, but at last she managed to get the loan of it and one plate. Off she and Francis went into the woods near a waterfall. Francis ticed them, as they call it, and Elsie stood ready with the camera. Soon, the three fairies appeared and one pixie dancing in Francis's aura. It was a long time before the father would develop the photo, but at least he did. And to his utter amazement, the four sweet little figures came out beautifully. The photographs are indeed beautiful. The first is a charming depiction of nine-year-old Francis, surrounded by small, bright, dancing figures, crisp and elegant. Conan Doyle describes it like this. The waterfall and rocks are about... 20 feet behind Francis, who's standing against the bank of the beck. A fifth fairy may be seen between and behind the two on the right. The colouring of the fairies is described by the girls as being of very pale pink, green, lavender and mauve, most marked in the wings and fading to almost pure white in the limbs and drapery. Each fairy has 
its own special colour. Conan Doyle was aware that the existence of fairies was controversial, so he affected the stance of a logical man, explaining every clue like Sherlock Holmes himself. The original negative is asserted by expert photographers to bear not the slightest trace of combination work, retouching, or anything whatever to mark it as other than a perfectly straight, single-exposure photograph taken in the open air under natural conditions. His conclusion was inescapable. I have convinced myself that there is overwhelming evidence for the fairies. Turning to the second photograph, showing Elsie holding hands with a little gnome, he muses on the contrast between the gnome and the little fairy elves. It's hard not to laugh. Elves are a compound of the human and the butterfly, while the gnome has more of the moth. This may be merely the result of underexposure of the negative and the dullness of the weather. Perhaps the little gnome is really of the same tribe, but represents an elderly male, while the elves are romping young women. A newspaper headline of the time put it bluntly. Has Conan Doyle gone mad? I'm Tim Harford, and you're listening to Cautionary Tales. The story had begun five years earlier, at the bottom of a garden in Cottingley, a village on the outskirts of Bradford in northern England. A beautiful stream, or beck, as the locals say, flowed past the trees and moss-covered banks. As the breeze toyed with the leaves and the sun dappling danced across the grass, little Frances Griffiths could imagine that she saw fairies at play. She talked with her dear friend and cousin, Elsie Wright, about what she saw. One day, Frances slipped on the rocks in the beck and soaked her clothes. It would happen a lot, Elsie later remembered. Frances, for some unaccountable reason, always fell down when we went up the beck. Elsie tried to help little Frances sneak into the house, but Frances's mother saw her and scolded her. Frances protested that she'd fallen because she'd been playing with the fairies. That was the last straw. She was sent to her room. Elsie, comforting her tearful cousin, suggested a plan. The two of them would borrow Elsie's father's camera and take photographs of the fairies at the bottom of the garden to prove the adults wrong and little Frances right. And they did, making the iconic picture of Frances surrounded by dancing sprites. Elsie's father, Arthur Wright, developed the first photograph in his darkroom. He wasn't impressed. It was a nice image of Francis, but what were all the pieces of paper in the foreground? Fairies, said Elsie. Nonsense, said her father. A few weeks later, they took a second photograph, this time of Elsie wearing a hat, sitting on the grass, and holding hands with a tiny prancing gnome. A joke, said Arthur Wright. Why would they not admit it? But they did not, and so the camera was confiscated. 
The story might have ended then, in 1917, but Elsie's mother, Polly Wright, was less of a sceptic than Arthur. A couple of years later, Polly Wright went to a meeting of a spiritualist society on the subject of fairy life. She mentioned the existence of the photographs. There was some excitement, and before long, the images had made their way to the influential mystic Edward Gardner. Gardner wrote back to Polly Wright, saying that the first picture was the best of its kind, I should think, anywhere. Edward Gardner took the photographs to his friend Harold Snelling, an expert in photographic processing and retouching. Snelling told Gardner that the pictures looked unprocessed to him, single exposures taken outside. Snelling's testimony was very important to Conan Doyle. If Snelling said they were genuine, they were genuine. But at this point, the plot thickens. Gardner wanted large, sharp, spectacular prints to frame and hang on his wall, to show people when he gave public lectures, and to give to the newspapers. So he paid Snelling to make these prints. Snelling made new negatives by painting on the prints that Elsie's mother had sent, and then re-photographing them. He added sparkle and sharpness, just as today a Photoshop expert might retouch a supermodel for a magazine cover. But that meant that every subsequent expert was looking not at the original prints, but at Snelling's upgrades. No longer were these the unprocessed single-exposure photographs that he'd vouched for. Snelling, of course, had no idea quite how much attention would later be devoted to the authenticity of these images, but having been paid about a year's wages by Gardner, he seems not to have uttered another word on the subject thereafter. Edward Gardner then took the photographs to experts at Kodak. They were confused, partly because Snelling's post-processing made the lighting on the pictures look strange, The Kodak team believed the pictures might have been taken in a studio, but that wasn't true and Gardner knew it. Whatever had been done would have required considerable technical skill, which, of course, Snelling had. In any case, they said, fairies don't exist, so the pictures must be a fake. Gardner, who was sure that fairies did exist, didn't find this very persuasive, He didn't realise, or didn't care, that Snelling's work had confused everyone. As far as he was concerned, Snelling's work was cosmetic. The fairies had been in the original photograph, and the experts were mystified. What more proof did anyone want? So he wrote to the most famous advocate of spiritualist beliefs in the British Empire, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Conan Doyle was intrigued. He wrote to Elsie and to her father Arthur, who was a huge fan of Conan Doyle and both delighted and bemused by the interest. And Conan Doyle sent Edward Gardner to Cottingley with a better camera in the hope that he could produce more images of fairies. Foiled by bad weather, he returned to London, leaving the camera with Elsie and Francis, together with dozens of expensive photographic plates, most of which, tellingly, did not survive. Still, soon enough, Gardner received three stunning new fairy images. One of a fairy in flight, 
one of a fairy presenting flowers to Elsie, and one strange and ethereal image of fairies sunbathing in their little glade. Edward Gardner was completely convinced. He argued that the fairies were visible manifestations of the girls' psychic energy. That would explain why, as several commentators noted, they bore such a close resemblance to illustrations from picture books. As for Conan Doyle, he began to write a spectacular account of a case that was stranger than anything Sherlock Holmes had ever tackled. Conan Doyle's account made a huge splash, first in a sell-out issue of Strand magazine, then in his book. Many people found the whole thing laughable. Punch magazine published a cartoon showing him with his head in the clouds, poor Sherlock Holmes sitting nearby, mourning his creator's foolishness. But many backed Conan Doyle. After all, how could two simple rural girls possibly have faked such a thing? One popular novelist urged people to gaze on the innocent faces of the girls themselves in the photographs. There is an extraordinary thing called truth, he wrote. It is God's currency, and the cleverest coiner or forger can't imitate it. The Yorkshire Weekly Post kept its feet on the ground, but agreed. When one considers that these are the first photographs these children ever took in their lives, it is impossible to conceive that they are capable of technical manipulation which would deceive experts. It was indeed hard to understand how two little girls, on the first photograph they ever took, could have faked an image so compelling that expert photographers could not explain it. But Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's own creation, Sherlock Holmes, could have explained that this puzzlement was hardly an argument for the existence of fairies. To quote Mr Holmes, When you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Indeed, for most observers, Sherlock Holmes's maxim was a good guide. Fairies do not dwell at the bottom of gardens, and so the photographs must be fake. One critic summed it up. Knowing children, and knowing that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle has legs, I decide that the girls have pulled one of them. Of course they had. If you remember our earlier cautionary tale of Abraham Bradius and the fake Vermeer, you'll also remember that if a person wants to believe something passionately enough, expertise is no defence. Doyle was not only a doctor and a formidable intellect, he was also a skilled amateur photographer. He knew very well that photographs could be faked, but he also knew that such fakes took skill. He couldn't quite imagine how two little girls could have done it. And more to the point, he didn't want to imagine. But how had the fakery been achieved? That question wasn't conclusively answered until 1982, 65 years after the first two fairy photographs were taken. We'll find out the answer after the break. Hey. 
That was a preview of cautionary tales from our friends over at Pushkin Industries. You can hear the full story and so many more wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.